Welcome to this episode of the Becoming a Fulfillionaire show. Today's guest is Tony Guarnaccia. That's perfect. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, nice. First try. Tony's got a whole history of epic things, Uh, was a professional classical musician, played violin. Violin, yeah. And has actually touched a $20 million violin that is now sitting in the Smithsonian Museum. He also runs a platform called Castosity that helps podcasters have all sorts of deals and people that want to be on podcasts uh, develop a much easier system for getting on shows and having people say the right things and have the headshots without having to do all the emails and back and forth. So I can't even tell you how many of those I've done this week. Like all the back and forth. We just, everyone just needs to get on the one sheet and on Castosity and just make that a lot easier for themselves. And you have how many children? Six. Six children. Tony has six children, everybody. So we've got a lot of ground to cover today. And the goal is just to have a ton of fun with all these different conversations because yours truly was also a classical musician. So we can can really nerd out about that. And something we were just talking about that maybe you can speak to is there was a cello player that you had met. And when he would play individually the cello the entire stage would actually vibrate. And this kind of gets into that whole conversation of what I was talking about resonant frequencies. Yeah where this is why I believe the Millennium Bridge like disintegrated is because there was a wind tunnel at a certain angle. Do you remember this whole thing? Yeah. And it like just was the resonant frequency of that bridge just disintegrated. So you can use that. Obviously, there's like certain frequencies or vibrations that can destroy things. And there's also certain frequencies and vibrations that can uplift things or or strengthen, you know, structural integrity of things or change your cells. I mean, there's there's so much like interesting science coming out about this right now. So in the same way, what I find interesting, we were just listening to classical music before this. You can have like music that affects you at like a soul level, right? Where you're sitting there and you're just allowing the music to kind of come through. Yes. And they will push those certain harmonies and certain frequencies to move you in certain ways. Correct maybe towards disintegration at times and then towards wholeness at times and everything in between. And that gradient is part of the reason we love music, right? Talk to me about that. Oh gosh. Well, it's it's so powerful. I mean, I even remember there's YouTube videos. I can't remember what it is specifically, but you can play a certain chords on a piano and it could resonate on another piano without anyone playing that. And so it's just, it's it transverses beyond the physical realm. It's really getting to the spiritual realm. It, It goes across. And so it's just very powerful. But to your point, it can move people. So it can literally resonate over here on its own, but within our hearts, it can transform our moods instantly. You know, you can change your state of being just by through the music. And I do that all the time. Like, you know, if I need to get energized, I'll listen to a certain kind of music. Like I'm not always listening to classical. I'll listen, I listen, I, I played jazz violin. I played, I actually um, won a competition of all things uh, playing. Uh, I transcribed Sweet Child of Mine for the electric violin. And so That's awesome. I, what I'll do is I'll use different kind of modalities to change my, my mind. And also I use the violin all the time uh, as a way to break things up. So if I'm doing something very focused, I'll then shift and play something creative. Or if I need to pick me up, I'll play something fast and aggressive. So mm-hmm. I use it to change my own state of mind all the time. Mm. If you could reference just now on the show, if there's someone listening and they're like, well, wow, that sounds awesome. And they want to just have like a template to play with what would be a song you'd recommend for someone who is like maybe high uh, high strung right now or in a situation of like high anxiety and they want to just like smooth out? Like what would be a song for that? 
There's actually been studies on this. Mm -hmm. So there's a study within Inc. Magazine that talks about this concept of how you can use music to to kind of reduce stress, for example. Uh, personally, I would go to something like Baroque or Classical. What does that mean? It's a fancy word. Really well-known composers, Mozart, uh, Bach, you know, and play like the piano, something strings, something very low-key. And using that actually helps. There's studies, again, that show that you're actually more creative, more productive when you have that in the background. Yeah. So what's your go-to song? If I would type it in on Spotify right now. Well, I, the one we shared before is my favorite. So mm -hmm. it's uh, Beethoven's String Quartet, Opus 59, uh, number one. And it actually goes through different temperaments in it. So it kind of it has kind of low-key moments, but then it also has very aggressive moments. So mm -hmm. I kind of, it changes kind of throughout the whole the whole piece. Mm -hmm. It allows you to experience the whole the whole spectrum of emotion. Well, yes, because I think great music tells a story. Mm. And so my favorite music takes you from one place to another. Like another one, like uh, like actually one of the things that I kind of, when I was young, I had challenging you know years. And I remember one piece I played was the Brook uh, Violin Concerto. And it starts off kind of very somber, like you're losing. But then at the end, you're winning. Like, it's a transformation. Like, I could literally at the time, even I didn't even know any of the stuff I know now, actually. I was like 10, 12. Mm -hmm. Didn't know enough to, to know what I know now. But I could, with the music, I could sense the transformation. Like, it was kind of like, and one of the things I talk about a lot is resilience. And so the first thing was, the first movement of this was about struggle. The next one was kind of like peace. And then the last one was like victory. Mm -hmm. And like that is what I love about certain pieces is that transformation of the story that comes with it. Yeah. So when we listen to pieces like that, do you ever, I'm just getting this idea now, like I'd want to turn on a piece of music like that. Yeah. And say I'm in a place of struggle right now with yeah. something, some category of life. Yeah. Do you think it would be beneficial if I were to think about that category? And as I listen to the song, sort of dream up the future of where I'll get to peace and then get to victory in that particular aspect of life? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's what I did unconsciously at that time, mm. my age. Like I kind of saw, because you know, you have to have a vision. You always have to have a vision. If you don't have a vision where you want to go, you're not going to get there. And so you have to be where you're at, but you have to kind of understand where you can be and transform into that person. Mm -hmm. Like that's why I'm, I'm thinking about personally a lot. Like you, you have to transform yourself into the person that's going to be that success in the future, whatever that next level of success is. And I think music is a great way to kind of analogy for that because, you know, at least what I did, when I, my 12-year-old self was essentially doing that and saying, okay, here I am in adversity, here I am at success. I, and then music was a conduit for me to express that at a very young age. Yeah, what was the adversity that you were going through at the time? Well, um, one of the stories I talk about is uh, I grew up in small business. My mm -hmm. parents had a small Italian bakery and uh, at the age of 12, you know, they were amazing bakers. You know, they were the best bakers possible. My dad uh, was just phenomenal. Unfortunately, didn't know what he didn't know about business. And so at the age of 12, we lost everything. I had to give up my dog, uh, lost a house, lost a car, and basically moved into my, si my oldest sister. She's 18 years older than me, lived in her basement. And so that was just a time of just really tough times and i was like how, you know do i have a future what's going to happen and so that's kind of where i learned resiliency at a very long age young age but also set my future up for my purpose which is really to help other businesses to avoid that struggle and overcome and, and just that's a lot of what i talk about when i go on podcasts as a matter of fact yeah and you've done a lot of that so yeah let me fast forward and, sure. and connect those dots right now you were 12 and your family lost everything correct 
And now you have six children. Yes. Did you have to deal with a lot of like scary, subliminal, subconscious things? Yes. When you were having kids about this whole ordeal? Not when I was having kids. I think I kind of just went. I mean, well, when we started having, well, the first child, yes. Because the first one, uh, well, what happened, interesting enough, I, I'm learning more about myself. as I, Actually, podcasting has been great because I've been learning more about myself mm -hmm. as I speak to others because kind of things come out. But what happened was when I was 28, I launched a, or actually if I, if I go before that, when I was in college, when I was graduating, I, part, I went to entrepreneurship, study entrepreneurship, and I did a, uh, my final project was to launch a business. So what was I going to launch a business? Of all things, I did a bakery. Oh, man. Which kind of goes back. Oh, and what man. I'm learning about myself, <laughs> I'm trying to rectify in my past. Mm. And what I did was I launched one of the first online bakeries. Mm. And so what happened was um, we had a lot of success. We, we won Best New Product at the New York Incentive Show. Uh, we did, if you're familiar, um, it was one of the first online bakeries. But we also came up with the technology to mail a cake anywhere in the world. And at that time, you might see it now all the time in like a BJ's, but they have the photo cakes. We were one of the first in the country to have that. And so we came up with two kind of divisions for the company. One was, you know, kind of consumer. I, my kids off in college, I want to send them a cake of fluffy to say hello and, you know, we miss you, all that. Then the other side, which was more interesting, was the corporate side. So we ended up mailing cakes with logos on it, essentially to Microsoft, Sony, huge players. And we even did... The cakes for Jay-Z, still have his personal photos at my house, Jennifer Lopez, so crazy stuff. So this is what happened was I, I had great success. This is when I was just about engaged. And, uh, but then the crap hit the wall. You know, we, I lost everything. The again. cake hit the wall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The cake hit the wall. We lost for a variety of reasons. Shipping costs went up dramatically. I didn't know, like, what I didn't know. That's the thing that kills small businesses. And so I didn't know about profitability and things like I know, that I know now about shipping costs and all that. And so that business, even though we had amazing PR, great celebrity clients, I mean, everything anyone would want. At that time, I was like 27, 26. And I was like, oh, this business stuff is easy. Lost everything again. At that time was when I got married. And so, Oof. and we, Oof. that's when I found out the first, my first son was on the way. And so at that time, it was bad. Okay. Yes. So then to answer your question, kind of circle back, uh, was there anxiety? Yes. With the first one, for sure. Because I had no idea how I was going to provide for this baby. And it was a really difficult time. The ones that came after, we were much more financially stable, but the first one for sure was was a difficult situation. Well, what did you do? Like, how did you get back on your feet after that business imploding? Yeah, so we lost everything that second time. Mm -hmm. This time, wife, baby on the way, had to live in actually my other sister's basement. So I have a, I have a history with basements, I guess. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Whoa. So, <laughs> so then what happened was I was like, you know, this isn't working. I have to figure out what I have to do. So step number one, get immediate revenue in. And so what I did was I took a, the first job I could do, quickest job, which was car sales of all things. And so I learned a little bit of sales experience and, and kind of how that worked. And then oddly enough, the, one of the ways I was able to um, get business for the cake business, the, the online bakery, was through SEO. And so this is in the late you know, 90s. Unbelievably, nobody knew what SEO was back then. 
And I was looking for a job and at that point. I, I was like, I had to get employment. I had to take a break from entrepreneurship. So I looked for a job that hired someone SEO because at the time I was like, I think there might be some potential in this area. You know, I think there might be potential in data. Like who knew where we go? Mm. So I took a job at a little agency that was struggling as well, but really starting to take off. They were just getting their wings. And at this point, did you have the first child already? He was on the way. Okay, so he, you, my, your wife was still pregnant. She was pregnant and we had no insurance and we were basically screwed. So I, our, my back was literally against the wall. Mm -hmm. And, and I were was, you doing the car sales at the same time? Yeah. Okay, so well, the car, car sales and working with this small agency. Learning no, well, uh, the car sale, I was looking for a job while I was at the, at the car dealership. Of course, yeah. yeah. And then that's when I landed in this agency, got their, a job running their SEO. And then sure enough, this company just blew up. It blew up so big. So it ended up getting acquired by ADP, the payroll company, which had a division that also served automotive back back then. And so I ended up running, which is crazy. I ended up running the B2B side for the payroll side, like um, which is a whole other story how I got that. And then I uh, ended up running all the automotive. Uh, so I ended up running, starting the digital program for Ford Motor Company, General Motors, I ran their program. Like basically every automotive company in the world I've worked with, except for Honda, uh, ironically. Yeah. So then uh, that's actually double funny. Yeah. Um, and we can talk about that later. But um, at this point in time, were you sleeping? Like, what was your relationship with your wife like? Yeah. Like it was a challenge. I mean, there was times where she wanted to kill me. I didn't, I didn't blame her. I was like, yeah. you know, I can actually kind of understand your point. Mm. Well, that's good that you had that mind. <laughs> I had that yeah. mindset. Yeah. I was like, I would kill me too. But you know what? I, I kept going through and just kept opening door, like knocking on doors. You have to keep knocking on doors until something opens and be persistent. You know, resiliency and persistency kind of brother and sister. So you have mm -hmm. to keep going at it until something happens and sure enough, breakthrough will eventually come. Yeah, what did the managers think of you? Were they like excited that you were so intense or were they like, dude, chill? At the automotive or at the- At, at the, the SEO at agency? Yeah. They, well, they loved it because they had a very similar culture. They were very mm -hmm. passionate. As New matter, York, yeah. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, my first job, my first day on the job, I got uh, the customer service person came up to me and she's like, yeah, you have to handle this call with the dealer. They're mad about their SEO. You know, they, they don't think we did a good job. I'm like, I just got the job five minutes ago and here I am handling like, you know, pissed off clients. And yeah. so that was kind of, so I jumped right in and then things just kind of, it was just an unbelievable run I had. Yeah. Why do you think that is? That I had the run? Yeah. That, like, why do you think you were able to step in and just do it? I think preparation. I think where you're going to end up, what you're doing now is preparing you for that period of time. Mm -hmm. And so that's, so when people get discouraged and say, hey, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Well, maybe because you're in the preparation stage, you're not ready. And I like I, I've been really meditating on a lot lately. You have to transform yourself into the future person you need to come, mm -hmm. whether it's in health and relationships and business. So the person that you are down here that has that success is not the person that's you are today so you have your job is to fill that gap and transform into that person and that's yeah. when you're going to have success yeah all right what are you transforming right now in your own life oh gosh i'm working on all sorts of areas you know health health for the sake of many things one to actually fulfill the vision i have i can't be in my state of health i'm in now so i have to improve myself just to be along around longer mm -hmm. so if i'm going to make as big of an impact i mean to me impact is a is a function of how many people you 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 know, influence and impact, uh, the depth of the impact. But another part of it is the length of time. 
Yeah. And so can we talk about that? Like what's the impact that you want to make just to set context for this whole? Yeah. 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 So my mission is really to democratize marketing. And this goes back to that 12 year old kid that was struggling and and saw his parents, you know, just, you know, disintegrate in some ways, like just the, the pressure and everything else. And so my mission is to really impact a million businesses so that they don't have that same struggle. And, uh, and that's kind of what I'm focused on and, and I'm narrowing it right now because you have to uh, focus too. So that's kind of my broader mission, but now I'm, I'm really narrowing it down to make podcasting profitable because when I did so many podcast tours, I realized that the podcasters themselves, 99% of them are making nothing. And so that's really where I'm focused now. And then going to go broader beyond that once, uh, once I get that market solidified. Got it. Okay. So save all these businesses that could have 12 year olds that lose all of their things and have to go through that struggle correct okay so then health is one of your big focuses right now and you're transforming that so that you can be the person that will transform a million businesses correct yes what's the the other categories you're working on oh gosh and Uh, also i assume you're not like a it sounds like if this is your belief then jack of all trades is totally fine with you and that's like a a good thing because i believe that quote by the way is always cut off like they say the jack of all trades is master of none. Yeah. That's only half the quote. Are you familiar? No, I, I didn't know that. There's yeah. another half of the quote. Really? Let me, let me pull this up. Okay. I'll, I'll have to edit this. A jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Oh, interesting. interesting. Isn't that interesting? That, that is interesting. Yeah. That <laughs> when you is, hear the whole quote. I did quote. not know that. I yeah. did not know that. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So health is one thing you're transforming. Yeah. What else? Oh, gosh. Relationships. One of my goals this year has been to build more relationships. As you know, we moved from New England down to Austin, no, did, and we just kind of jumped. We, mm-hmm. So I know nobody here. You're like one of the first guys I met. And so oh, I, really? Yeah, like I, I don't know many people at all. And so we kind of just jumped in. And so building relationships, uh, you know, the breadth of them, but also the depth of them. And mm-hmm. so getting more quality. And of course, that starts at home. That means, you know, having a, improving my relationship with my wife and also with the kids and mm-hmm. with God, for that matter. You know, those are really the three relationships uh, or four when you count, you know, friends. Yeah. Are the kids starting to like it? Yes. Yeah. They're very happy here. Uh, cool. They're just always, I mean, my young, it's interesting because they're all different. Mm-hmm. My first son, he hated it. He fought us the whole way, then incorporated himself very well into, into school. He actually got uh, homecoming or um, prom king, you know, so he Whoa. went from zero to, you know, hero. hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, my middle daughter is, is like a magnet. You know, they talk about magnetism and, and she is literally that. So go, she had friends the first, she had multiple friends like the first days we were there. Like she's just, people are just attracted to her like a magnet and she just, you know, rolls with that. My older daughter took a longer time. She kind of simmers slower, but now she's got more quality. And she's not about quantity, she's about quality. So uh, she's already getting some really close friends. So it's just interesting how they all have their own approach. And you learn a lot by studying your kids just because mm-hmm. you see yourself in them, but you also get to see how they're very different from you and how they handle things. And it's just been a very interesting time. To yeah, see this. so there's eight of you. How did you make that decision to move here from New York City? Or, well, it was actually Connecticut, but yep. uh, what happened was we, I wanted to re-engineer my life. Hmm. And so what happened was at the time of the pandemic, and I think the pandemic's been good in that sense because it's, cause everybody to kind of reevaluate where they are, their priorities. And so like so many people that happened to me. So I had a successful uh, marketing agency in Rhode Island. uh, And uh, when the pandemic hit, we lost like 80% of revenue. And so it's interesting because I had to relearn the skill of resiliency. 
which had been kind of dormant for a while because I, I hadn't struggled really that much for, for a while. So then I, uh, I, I was like, this is opportunity. This is not a bad thing. This is an opportunity because how you, your mindset to these things makes such a difference. I was like, okay, well, we're going to see this as an opportunity. I wasn't really that happy with the agency uh, because I want something bigger anyway because I have a much bigger BHAG you know, goal and also impact more people. And I wanted to kind of get out of the agency space. My goal had always originally been actually to do a SaaS company, uh, which is a software company. I didn't know which direction to go. And so at and the time- just to define a couple of terms, BHAG is big, hairy, audacious, audacious goal, goal on SaaS yeah. is software as a service, yes. which would be like uh, Slack. Yes, you know? yes, exactly. And so what I wanted to do was go, ahead and go back to our roots of doing a, a software company before the pandemic hit. I had started going the direction of doing a, um, well, I'd, I'd worked on a strategic planning software company, wasn't really getting any traction. And I'd also started a training company. And so those were in motion, but I hadn't gotten to the point of where I wanted to be. Pandemic hit, th those were tough to launch and get going uh, at the level I wanted to. So I was like, this is a time to reevaluate everything. And it's like, what do I really want to do? At the time when I did that, um, training company, I did a podcast tour because I had a book coming out about strategic planning called Small Steps to Big Profits. And that's why I did the podcast tour. I was like, podcasters are really struggling. And I was like, I want to do software. Why not do software for this market? So that's kind of how things started fitting in. And so I decided to re-engineer my life, focus on SaaS. And then the next question is like, where would we, we be happy? Because I knew what I want. I, my framework for thinking is always about what, when, where, how, why. I kind of go through that mental checklist. I was like, okay, I know the what. Uh, the next question. And the what was the podcasting space. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And then the question from there was like, okay, where? Where will we be happy as a family? We're, like, weather's way nicer here. And But part of it goes back to business. I was like, okay, if I see where's podcasting hot, where's software hot, my wife is actually a midwife. She's studying me midwife. Where's a great market for that? And we kind of triangulated different options and it kept on going back to Texas. Mm. And so we're like, okay, Texas and Austin specifically, because this is such a great market for where we're going. And I knew it'd be a better life for the kids as well. So that's all these things kind of contributed. And then the question is where, and we're like, let's do it in a couple months. So we like literally sold a house. We like, we go in. Is we're your wife alone. just as like intense as you are? In different ways, yeah. Okay. Different, not not in the same vein, but in her own way, yes, absolutely. Yeah, because she's like, yeah, let's go in two months. You're like, there's eight of us. Yeah, we just in do two it. two months. We do it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so health is one thing. Yeah. Relationships is another thing. Correct. Obviously, business is business a big thing is that a you're big transforming, one, yes. right? Yes, absolutely. Are those the three or are there more too? Those are probably the main ones mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, I don't want to take on too many things simultaneously. But those are the, those are probably the top three. Got it. Yeah. So you also mentioned that let, let's kind of break down like what this looks like, right? So the twelve year old crisis that happened in your family. Yeah. And your mission is to help a million businesses do really well. Yeah. Well, right? the term I have, honestly, it comes back again to my corporate experience. So working, I don't know if I mentioned before, but I've worked with Google and Ford and ADB, all of these great companies, and so the term I coined is called uh, democratized marketing. Mm -hmm. And so my mission is to bring the strategies, tools, and resources that the best companies have to the smaller ones where they might be missing those areas. And one of the key things I noticed that they're missing is really how to do strategic planning, how to have a marketing message. And so a lot of those ideas I built originally 
in that software company I had before, which was for strategic planning and also for the training company I had, those weren't working because people, let's face it, nobody wants to buy strategy. It's not sexy. So I basically took those same concepts, re-engineered them and put them into my podcasting software. Got it. So you just made it way more specific and approachable and like Correct. relevant for people. Correct. Okay. So let's talk about that. Like yeah. what, so strategic planning is one big thing and like yeah. marketing message, yeah. right? What's like your top recommendation for people to identify a marketing message? So if there's probably a lot of people that are going to watch this that yeah. have businesses or side yeah. hustles or even like larger businesses, yeah. right? Yeah. What, what do you recommend? Yeah. So the critical thing to understand is that your impact is directly correlated to how you communicate. Mm. If you can't communicate what you're doing, you might have the cure for cancer, you might have this amazing thing. If you can't communicate to the world, it's not gonna go anywhere. And so what I did was I, I took a lot of these concepts and put that through that simple framework I mentioned before. You need to know who you serve, why you serve them, where you serve them, all these different things. And when you combine those in different ways, you can actually create your marketing messaging, messaging out of it. So probably the easiest one might be your tagline. I do this for who, for what reason, so it has this impact. So just really simple ideas like that is what I try to incorporate. The most critical thing though is transformation. So, so ironically, circling back to what we first talked about, I had no idea we'd go in this direction, but to me, everything is transformation. You know, you're going from point A to point B. And in business and marketing, that is what you're really selling. That is the transformation. So your messaging is how you communicate that transformation of taking them from point A to point B. That messaging is that bridge. And so in my trainings company I came up with, I have what's the notion called the results bridge. And so people want a result, and that result is a transformation from A to B. Your communication is how you you know message that. And it's really who you serve very specifically. That's the other key thing is specificity. Mm -hmm. You can't be broad, specifically who you serve, what you do. So the same framework I used to move here which was the transformation, the same thing I used in music. It's all the same thing, which is yeah. so interesting because it's like people think it's it's here, but it's really everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's a universal truth. Correct. Mm -hmm. So I've been talking about this conversation a lot lately with one of my businesses. And the conversation is, and I'm, I'm curious what your opinion is mm -hmm. on this and in your experience, like what works. In a lot of businesses, in a lot of contexts, people say like, let's find a problem to solve. Mm -hmm or a pain point yes. and create that bridge for them to get out of that pain. In my past, I was, um, let's call it a healer, yeah. right? Like a physical therapist sort of, right? And I would take people out of pain and uh, yeah, they would start in pain, they would end out of pain. Yeah. The problem was always that once people get out of pain, they stopped doing things mm -hmm. to progress, to become mm -hmm. resilient, yeah. which was the next part of the journey, yeah. right? And then once you became resilient, then it's like just have fun and like enjoy building you know, enormous amounts of resilience at that point mm -hmm. so that it becomes like a habit. So like health became a habit for people right. as opposed to like, like right now you're like, okay, my health is here and I need it to be there. Well, if you get there and then you stop doing things, then you'll eventually go back to here yes. right? or closer to there. So one of our companies, we've designed the main product to be healing an injury, right? And that's like the way that it's marketed, the digital side of it. I've just recently in this last week been like, you know what? I actually, I don't want to do that anymore because the more I talk about it and the more I spend time with people, the more I realize like, that's not what we're doing. I do get it from a marketing perspective, but I don't think it's A, telling the the story that we want to tell and B, attracting the type of people that are actually attracted to this work once they get into it. Mm -hmm. So there's this through line of marketing where it's like, find a problem yeah. and solve the problem. So then that could be, 
like medical anything, right? Mm -hmm. Name name a medication and that's the marketing strategy, right? However, then you get things like a Tesla Roadster, right? And it's like, that is not a pain. Right. There is some, someone wants to be represented as something or have an experience, right? Yeah. And I think that's a different marketing through line that I'm way more attracted to now. And I feel like as a society, we're maybe moving more towards those types of marketing yeah. working rather than the pain marketing working. So the new thing that I've been engineering us to is like, okay, instead of teaching people how to heal their pain, which is going to happen no matter what, they actually right. don't need to know that that's going to happen. They could just be a perk. But the real thing is like, let's build that resilient body that you can play in and create this beautiful groundedness and coherence and presence in your body so that you just feel amazing and you can do anything that you want to do. Yeah. And the body will never be the thing that holds you back. It'll be the thing that propels you forward. Right. That to me sounds way more appealing and attractive than like, let's get you out of pain. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting because a lot I have diagrams for all these because mm. I'm very visual and I'm kind of a psycho. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, but to me, I it's, couldn't tell at all. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a, it's a continuum. And so in my diagram, I'll have to send it to you afterwards. But uh, it goes from pain to to really gain. And so from pain to the middle stage essentially is that healing stage. Can and I after that? So yeah. So I, I have a diagram. Can I reference it? So like, and I think it's going to be the same thing. And if it is, I'm going to yeah. be like, that's wild because universal truth, right? Yeah. So it's like the five P's that I talk about. Yeah. Pain to peace. Yeah. Peace to play, play to progress, progress to fulfillment with a P. Yeah. Same, right? same idea. Yes, exactly. Mm. And I think the sales approach is different though, because usually the people that are from pain to, to you know, the middle, they really want to get their pain solved. Then beyond that, it's really game to the next level, same to the next level. But the other big driver is loss aversion. So like for me personally, going through the loss the second time, like financial loss the second time, was much harder than the 12-year-old. I think the 12-year-old version was more impactful because I was too young. But having a level of success, or actually even more the more recent one with the agency, that's probably a better example. When that tanked, uh, that was that's a harder. That's the 80% revenue disappeared yeah, exactly. through COVID. That's yeah. a much harder uh, pain because it's a, it's a, you're having loss. It's a loss. You know, this is basic sales. You, like, mm -hmm. We all learn. And you, know, you had oh, six kids. Right. Yeah. So having, you know, loss is always a bigger driver. So I think there's like three of them. There's one, which is avoid, a getting out of pain. Mm. The other one is getting to the kind of the next level, which is really the gain. And then the other part is diversion of the loss because that's the worst one you know for many people mm. and so i think kind of looking at that continuum and each one has each people are at different levels and you know i remember in college you learn maslow's hierarchies of the needs and if you go back to the maslow hierarchy of needs it really maps to that you know at the base level you have hey can i breathe <laughs> you know that's probably an important thing uh and then you know can i eat do i have shelter and so as you go up and people get you know, at higher levels, then they're looking more for their to get not so much the pain. They don't have that problem. They're looking for really a sense of gain. And really, that's when you're getting into my purpose in life and things like that. Yeah. The ironic thing, though, is when you're down here at the lowest levels, mm -hmm. when you actually focus on purpose, you actually propel faster. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of times they're not in that position to see that, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So then from a marketing standpoint in your experience yeah. and like what you're seeing with Castosity growing, yeah. What do you recommend as like, because uh, the, the idea for us was like, okay, yeah. the bigger brand is like, okay, we want to speak to the the vision of what you can become through yeah. this work. 
rather than like the starting point right. of this work. We can mention that starting point, but what do you recommend? Like, how do you lay that out so that if, if like as an example, right? I mean, I keep, I'm going to reference Tesla again, yeah. where it's like they started with the very, very high end, like yeah. you're a badass if you buy this car, yeah. right? And now they have like the Model 3, which is if they had released that first, it'd be like a little put-put car. Right. You know, like it's it's an, it's a very nice car, yeah. right? But because they released a $200,000 car at right. first, if you see the opportunity to buy a $40,000 car from a $200,000 car company, you're like, right. whoa, yeah. that's awesome. Right. So in in regards to like what you're recommending, even with like your podcast yeah. hosts that you're helping build these income streams and these million, million hosts, you're probably going to help, right? Yeah. What do you recommend as like a branding strategy for that in regards to like this level system that you just mentioned? Yeah. Of course, you want the whole system. Yeah. Right. And that that's the depth that you're talking about Correct. in relationship. Yeah. But how do they how do they speak about it? I think it depends on your launch strategy. So it's it's a function of the, the ticket of the if it's a higher ticket product, which is what Tesla was, they went through what's called the market skimming approach. And so what they did was they had a higher ticket, less volume. And that attracted, you know, higher income earners and where they could fulfill that, at, you know, they wouldn't have to have the demands of creating all these cars, which at the time they, they had a hard time doing the volume, which when that was without all the, you know, um, global supply chain issues we have today. So I think for them, if you're selling high ticket and you have a very narrow audience and you want to kind of serve that audience at the highest level, then you want to have a skimming approach. And so you're better off going high end. And, you know, I've, as, as it may be, I've had a lot of experience, ironically, in the luxury market. So selling like multi-million dollar weddings and just like ridiculous things like that, yachts, all that kind of stuff. You sold yachts? Through through magazines and things like that, yes. Epic. yes. You sold a yacht through a magazine? Is yeah. that just like you try to you try to reach ten million people and like four, three of them will call you? Well, no, like uh, like I used to do a lot of consulting. Like for one of my clients was uh, Wedding Style Magazine. Yeah. And say they they do like a lot of the celebrity weddings and and like mm. within those magazines there's ads, almost like a Rob Report, same mm -hmm. kind of idea. And so you can go very high end. And but for those people, you want scarcity. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I'm on the problem side. There's more people. Unfortunately, in this world, there's more people with problems than there's people that want to get to the next level and, and want to get the gains. Uh, and so the for me, for my software, we're going more on the problem side because it's a bigger market and we're doing a, a kind of a high volume approach because the software, there's no incremental cost for doing more, more, you know, it, uh, more licenses for the software as example. Yeah. Okay. So now that we have like a little bit of a background on what Castosity is, the yeah. podcasting platform, which is, and to give the full context before we get into this question, yeah. it's a platform where podcast guests can create a one page document that has like their bio, their headshot, relevant links, Correct. variations of bio photos and, and potentially different things that people can use to describe them, yes. affiliate sign up things if they need that, right? right? Anything you might need on one page, right? Yeah, and so and it's and, and it's really our first release of the software. Mm -hmm. Our mission for Castosity is to make podcasting profitable. So mm -hmm. kind of going so, so, back. Yeah. And, and this is where we're going. So yeah. that's the context, right? Yeah. And you work with podcast hosts. Correct. On properly being able to monetize their podcast easily. Correct. Right? And being able to do it at a higher level than most podcast hosts do it because Correct. most of the time they'll get like an ad that will run on the show right. and they'll get some affiliate links. Correct. What you're doing is you're allowing 
not just the host to be able to get these ads and, and things like that, but also the guests, if they have something that they want to sell, that they could sponsor various shows or even the shows that they're on Correct. to continuously promote their stuff. And you make it so there's like agreements, right? Yeah. Ahead of time. So it's like three posts plus whatever, whatever, right. right? Right. So that's your service, right? And you're helping a million business owners avoid the fallout of your 12 year old self. Yes. yes. So now with all of that context yeah. and the, you referenced the marketing Maslow's hierarchy, right? Now give us like your castosity pitch and then we can start to pick out like where on this diagram of pain to peace to play to all that stuff that you're speaking to. Yeah. Yeah. So castosity is really simple. Our mission is to make podcasting profitable. We do that by helping podcasters and their guests. And really, if you think about it, podcast interviews. Podcast interviews represent 30% of the market uh, of all podcasts, and it's growing at the rate, uh, fastest rate. So we're laser focused on that market. So the who would be uh, in the what is the podcast interviews, and it's to make those profitable. And we do that specifically by helping automating 90% of the effort necessary to market and monetize a podcast interview. Got it. And what are you finding is the best way to market and monetize podcasts? Yeah, so I think the beauty of interviews is it's two sides of the table. And so you can share audiences, you can you can kind of collaborate, you can do joint ventures, you can do offers. And the funny thing is, in the corporate world, this done is done all the time. So I helped launch, as I mentioned before, I launched the Ford Motor Pro, uh, Company uh, ad program, Google ads program. And we actually like did- Like for the whole company? For all the dealers, yeah. Whoa. And uh, the way we launched that was through joint ventures. Like we basically did a joint venture with Ford and we did a joint venture with Google and that's how we grew. Like Ford wasn't spending all this money advertising, you know, Google, like, hey, you should do Google ads and Ford, you know, Google wasn't advertising and, you know, one of the biggest advertising, you know, companies, you know, now of course they're doing the occasional Super Bowl, they'll do something, but the biggest company in the world is not doing ads and they serve ads, they're doing joint ventures. And so people don't know that. And so sadly, Small businesses don't do joint ventures, they don't do co-marketing, uh, and specifically to this audience, podcasters don't do it. So a lot of times, the podcaster will spend all this time editing, producing, promoting a show, the guest comes on, and then the guest does nothing. Like, there's no promotion. And so, to me, that was crazy. I was like, okay, well, how can we make that happen? Well, first of all, they need marketing assets, uh, and it's gotta be quick and easy and, and profitable for both sides. And so, how do I enable that to happen? So we have a system that automate the marketing for both sides. Uh, so I can now send banner ads that will promote it for you, for me. Um, do joint ventures so I can monetize. So for instance, if you have an offer or I have an offer, you can incorporate into your show notes automatically. You can add it to your um, to your social media posts. So just really greasing the skids of doing the marketing monetization on both sides. And the, and the product we're launching with is the one sheet because we're, at the end of the day, we're a data company. Where's all the data that would go into these posts, that would ha house the offers, that would house the content. Well, most of it's in the one sheet. Because if you bring over my topics, my questions, my headshot, it makes adding that to the social media posts, for instance, so much easier, adding to your blog so much easier. So that's really what we're trying to do, is take the data from the one sheet, data from the sponsor, data from the podcaster, and from the episode itself, aggregate those four or five eight data sources, and then producing content and offers out of those. So if we pull out, this idea that that you eventually came to that the one sheet is the number one thing that you want to launch with yeah and then you'll add all these other things and create different products yeah. and create like all this community things yeah. that will happen with Custosity. 
how can we what's the universal truth kind of sitting in there yeah. that brought you to the idea that the one sheet was the most important thing that anyone could use to figure out what the most important thing about their business is yeah so and it's interesting because i i still do some uh cmo consulting so I'll, I'll help launch other companies and so i was helping kind of this kid a young guy starting off he wants to do a uh i think it's a matching service for in the fishing industry and he's like do i start with the uh, their fishing guides like they'll take you out show you where to fish and all that and he's like, he was targeting the guides. I was like, no, you don't want to target the guides. You have to target the, the consumers because they're going to buy it. And so a basic universal principle is start with demand. You know, whenever you're launching something, you create demand first. So in, in terms of the podcast universe, the, the guests that are being on these shows are really the demand side because they want to be on the host's show. Uh, but also they might be the, in the market to do the joint ventures. They might be in the market to be a sponsor. So where you're starting with a sponsorship model, it might be just with your guests. And what, what would you do? Say, hey, look, at the interview's free, but if you also want to have it on my blog, which has inherent SEO value, if you also want me to distribute to my email list, where there's thousands of people, I can promote your offer. All of a sudden, your lowest hanging fruit is literally right there in front of you. Your guest could be your greatest sponsor to get you started. Once you get going, you get the, the what I call the flywheel effect. Get that going, then you get the bigger sponsors. But a great place to start, which the average podcaster doesn't have a massive business. They're starting small. So that to me, that's the best place to start is start with the demand. Where's the demand coming from the guest? How do we make it easy for the guest to go on the show? Podcast one sheet. Got it. Wow. Beautiful. This is such a common thing in Austin. So let's just talk about like a coaching business, right? Yeah. So it's it's ephemeral, the value yeah. of it, right? Yeah. What does someone do to launch their coaching business? Well, I feel like I have a somewhat of an unfair advantage here mm -hmm. because I actually got mentored by Alan Weiss, who literally wrote the book on how to become a coach. Mm -hmm. uh, so literally. It, like yeah, if you if you look up million dollar coaching on Amazon, he's mm -hmm. he's the best known person in the coaching industry. He's like he's I think he's eighty years old now, still amazing and so i used to have weekly calls with him but why what why i hired him as my coach that's amazing yeah so if you want to be the best you got to work with the best so you have to hire coaches what year did you hire him in uh this was at the beginning of the pandemic before when i was doing going down the results train like i was doing going down the training route because i wanted to do training and coaching at the time i was like i i gotta find the best person in the world i read a bunch of books i was like this guy seems the sharpest i'm gonna hire him so How, that's you just called him just like found his email somehow? Uh, no, what happened was I subscribed to his newsletter and then he, every once in a while he uh, have an offer for coaching. I, I saw it. I was like, I'm going to jump on this. I had already read this book. I had emailed him a couple times, built a relationship. In fact, I mean, we're fairly close. My brother actually is a world renowned artist. He actually brought, bought a painting for my brother. And so literally my brother's painting is sitting in his house. So we built a really good relationship Whoa. over this period of time. You know, we're Facebook friends and all that. And so, um, so what he told me to do, it's interesting, I've heard this advice elsewhere, but essentially what you want to do is, is take a look at your existing relationships and kind of score them in a sense of who's most willing to help you, who has influence, who like, so you want to start with some um, list of people. The easiest thing to do for most people is just go on LinkedIn. So you have, and this is from a business side, health coaching would obviously would be different, but I'm just saying from a business context. So you really make that list and then it's real simple. You start calling them. You know, and, and offer them some value. You know, that's the easiest way to do it. You build a relationship and then from there you can start getting some opportunities that would mm -hmm. branch out from there. Yeah. So what was the a process referral. that he brought you through for 
Because at that point, Castosity was not on your radar. I hadn't even started it yet. Yeah. No. So what was like the first steps that he brought you through that brought you to this point? Uh, well, at the time, uh, we were working on, well, actually it started with our messaging. Like what was, what was my mission from a coaching perspective? What was I going to do? And what I came up with him was I was going to dramatically, I'm trying to remember it. This was a while ago, a couple of years ago, but it was something along the lines of dramatically impact your business through XYZ, something along those lines. So you wanna first come up with what your message is, what you're going to do to impact a business. And then literally it's just like calling all your contacts, starting there, asking for referrals is very powerful as well. So he just had, we, you know, we just went through that process and that's how we applied it. He, I stopped working with him before I started Castosti. But ironically, I'll probably be going back to him at some point because he's on the, he's, um, I think he's in the Speakers Bureau Hall of Fame. And there's not much of a, a, a leap between creating a one sheet for podcasts. And there's also something called speaker one sheet, which is to speak on stages. So there's a lot of overlap. So I'm mm. sure we'll be crossing paths again very soon. Awesome. Awesome. So he kind of helped you build the internal frameworks that got you to the point where you started to say, okay, Castosity is going to be the thing. Yeah, I started thinking about it. I mean, it was interesting because it's not one person or one thing. It's kind of an aggregation of different things from different angles. And so it was kind of like my own life choices, what was happening with my agency, uh, where I saw things going with the training company and my consulting. So all these things kind of contributed to where I am today. Mm -hmm. Just like whatever I'm doing now, like this moment, like right here, is going to contribute to where I am in the future. It all kind of stacks upon itself. Yeah. How do you do this with six kids? Yeah, well, I think you have to have a certain level of... Is your um, wife just incredible? She is incredible. Okay. Yeah, like I could not do this without her. She is She is very... And she's much more organized than me. Yeah. Okay, so, I yeah. feel like now I have to go back and be like, <laughs> how, how did you find her yeah. that has allowed you to have this incredibly large family and just be able to do all of this? How did you find her? What did you do? Well, ironically, this goes back to where we started, uh, classical music. Mm. So what happened was I, uh, I was a professional violinist, but I, most of my income was coming through teaching. And uh, she wanted a, a, you know, um, a violin teacher. I happened to be the guy. Ironically, though. You with a student? Yes, I know. It's awful. It's awful. I mean, it's been a long time now, so I feel like it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny, though, because uh, she actually got me in trouble because at the time, I've always been entrepreneurial. I always had a full stack of things to do. And so I literally blew her off for like months. I wouldn't take her as a student. I had never met her. And she called up the studio, got me in trouble. I finally took her. I was like, okay, here comes trouble. And that's, oh, you know, that's kind of where we are today. Here comes trouble. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So she helps a lot. Yes. What else? are they, Do you get the kids involved? Do you talk to them about everything that's happening? Yeah. Like how many hours a day would you say you're able to do your work side of things? Yeah. Versus is it like five days a week? They just know that you're going to be in it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I always take off Sundays, mm -hmm. most of Saturday. So so usually Sunday and Saturday are reserved for the family, you know. And so I try to have. I mean, once in a while I'll break the rule and maybe do a little something on Saturday. But trying to really have those uh, like an upfront contract with myself. Say, okay, these are sacred. I'm not going to touch them. Uh, usually, what happens is and I I spend the time wisely too. Like I try to be all in when I'm with the kids. I'm all in. just like business. I'm all in when I'm all in. And when over here, I'm all in when I'm all in. And when I'm off, I'm off. So I think just being, you know, quality time is very important and doing fun stuff. Like, you know, yesterday we were just at uh, Austin Parks and Pizza running around in go-karts and stuff. So just having really good times when we are having time. So it's memorable. 
and uh, and just being disciplined. That's really what it comes down to. I pick the kids up from school. You know, I have uh, I'll do some homework with them. But but then once it's time for them to go to bed, at say seven o'clock, then it's time for my wife. And so just dividing the time out and being very specific with what you're going to do in that time is really how you manage all that. And then you spend the evenings like just hanging out with your wife Correct. and spending time with her. Correct. We usually, yeah. and we, and we kind of double dip in a sense. We, um, that's when we exercise. So mm -hmm. a lot of times if I'm going to run, I don't run my, by myself. You run with her? I run with her. Aww. So that's where we have our time together. And so it's just being smarter with time. You know, even if I'm doing weight training, she's going to start weight training with me now. So then we can still spend time. So just using the time and maximizing and doing things simultaneously, mm -hmm. you can get a lot more traction. Okay. So now let's, let's dig into that just a little bit because yeah, yeah, sure. it may just be an easy answer, but you're doing all these things together with her. Yeah. There's a lot of communication in the world right now where it's like, you know, the idea being like you don't want to change someone right yeah however like what is partnership if not becoming more like each other and wanting to spend time together what what do you think the secret is that you two want to do these things together i think we just well you don't always want to i mean just to be real yeah and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah go uh, into that yeah. yeah i think i think you you just make uh, again i think you make the decisions beforehand just like, you know, I decided this week I'm not going to have a chocolate cake. You decide, you don't decide you're not going to have chocolate cake when you're looking at the chocolate cake saying, I'm going to grab the chocolate cake. Mm -hmm. You make that decision ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And I, I found that's actually a universal secret as well, like upfront contracts. So working with a client, here's what to expect, here's what we're going to do. It avoids miscommunication problems. You know, when you're, when you're delivering software, you know, they call it onboarding is a whole discipline within software. But guess what? That's really an upfront contract of what to expect. So using that with the kids, be home by this time or you're gonna be in trouble or there's gonna be consequences. So so what do you do with your wife in regards to that? And what does she do with you? You can't really. <laughs> well, uh, well, specific to the like yeah. a running, we say, hey, we're gonna run at eight o'clock, we're gonna run, boom, that's it. You know, even if I feel like crap, I'm still gonna go because I made that commitment. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it goes. Uh, but you know, we're not perfect. Yeah. Sometimes we're yeah. off track and we don't listen to each other. Yeah. What would, do you have any advice for people that are looking for a relationship like that? What would you recommend? Like, how did you know that, you know, trouble, AKA your wife was yeah. going to be uh, a good partner to have for children? Oh gosh. I think it just depends on their you have to have a, a um, that's a good question. I think their heart, like making sure they have a good heart. That's where I started, mm. honestly, with her. I could tell she had a good heart and the rest would work out. Like mm -hmm. that, and she reminded me of my, my grandmother of all things when I very first met her. Uh, and uh, I just knew my grandmother was an amazing person. So that was kind of how it, it came to be. It's mm -hmm. just, and then you have alignment and core value, like your, our values are same. So you want to have alignment in certain things. You want to have mm -hmm. diversity in some things, but in some things you want to have alignment, like your values. Mm -hmm. So what are the values that you have in alignment with her? And also, can you tell, talk to me about, I'll remember the values thing, but maybe this one first. Yeah. Talk to me about what it means to have like a good heart. Like, what does that feel like? Like what, yeah. did, what, what was it about her that you knew? I think a good heart starts with love. So you, you're, you're a giver, you're looking for the benefit of others. Um, and she demonstrates that every day with the kids and with me. I mean, she's always self-sacrificial. Self and so that's kind of, um, I think love and your heart are kind of correlated. Mm -hmm. 
do you ever like is there a harmony with her self-sacrifice like where she she also takes care of herself is there also that yeah yeah there's always all, you know always a balance because she'll sacrifice but then i'll sacrifice too mm-hmm. so we're both sacrificing for each other and that's what love is it's not a one way if someone's just the only one sacrificing that's not going to persist because it's it's the relationship's off balance got it and then values what are the values that you share oh gosh uh well, we're both Christians. That's part of it. So we follow God. Uh, we we are alignment with the kids. So and it's funny because they're 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 slick. You know, one will ask me, one will ask mom. Hopefully, they have different answers. I'll go with the one I like the best. Usually, dad's the sucker. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. what I try to do is align with her first. So one of our values is communicating. Like you know, your kid will ask me like. I need to consult mom. Yeah, like I, I learned that early on. So like getting with with, uh, with her first. So communication, I think, would be a value. Um, just uh, I think our, our health you know, is, a, is a value in the sense that we set that time aside. And we've gotten a lot better with that over time. Um, actually, even when we started, when we were first married, we, we, we actually started running from the very beginning together. So I guess we've a lot of these were foundational set when mm-hmm. we were, were even dating. So yeah. What's, what was like her response when 80% of the revenue disappeared because of a black swan event? It was tough. I mean, she, she, um, I think in some levels I have more faith, uh, or other worlds craziness. Like I'll just go for it. Like, like I don't have, I'm the entrepreneur. I'm much more of a risk taker. She is not, she likes consistency and steadiness. So that, that was a challenge, but ultimately she, goes with the direction I want because she thinks I'm going, you know, she has confidence and faith in me. And when ha- someone has confidence and faith in with, with you, that makes a difference. Even though they, they know it's going to be hard, they know in the end it's going to work out. And so that's the only way I was able to do any of this in the first place. That's that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome to hear all of that. Okay, so final couple questions here. What are like the biggest wisdoms that you feel like, um, I, I usually have a preface at the very beginning, which I didn't do today because I already know you and, and yeah. you're just awesome. The preface is that I like to have two things in mind Yeah. at the beginning of any time I'm going to teach or share anything. Yeah. Number one is I could get hit by a bus in an hour and that could be the end. And this yeah. might be one of the last things I ever get to share. Mm. And so with that, I want to make sure it's something that could really affect at least one person. Yeah. Right. Like really help them live a better life, which is what the whole fulfillionaire thing is about. Yeah. Yeah. Living beautiful lives. And number two, that we're probably living in a computer simulation. So nothing's really a big deal. Yeah. And when you die, it's probably just like game over. Do you want to restart now or like go to heaven for a little bit? You know, like, what do you want to do? Right. So with those two things in mind of like the seriousness and the silliness, right, or sacred and silly is one of my friends likes to say, what are like the big things for you that you're like, if I could say any one or two wisdoms that people could really take in and yeah. apply to everything in their life. Cause obviously you've had a series of incredible things happen. And it's not a coincidence that you are like a professional violinist, which is very hard to do. It's yeah. very, very competitive. Maybe, maybe one of the most competitive, if not the most competitive uh, position that someone could be in, in the professional musician world. Um, you've had this incredible relationship and found that through that whole thing and that's amazing you have six children and they like you that's also amazing most days i assume that's amazing right and now you're building castosity which is like already have thousands of users like what's what's the deal yeah well 
I'll go I'll, since we've been talking about music and so many things overlapped. I'll go back to one of my original lessons uh, that I talk about, uh, which is the importance of taking small steps. So I alluded to my book before, Small Steps to Grow Profits. That came from my mother's lesson of resiliency, and it's also something I learned in music, uh, which is you have to t go step by step. So my mother grew up at a time similar to today where there was a pandemic. So what she lived through was polio. And so she lost the ability to walk. And so when she was a baby, her vision was to be able to wear high heels. Like you know, a lot of people take that for granted. You talk about healing all the time. That's like a big deal for her. That's where she wanted to get to. And so at the time they had her, you know, break things down, you know, get the nervous system working, uh, eventually go in a pool, get some strength that way. And then get to the point where you know she walks between two poles and kind of make forward progress and so she's always been someone that i looked up to i was like how do you get through how like how did you do that how do you get to the point of actually being able to wear high heels she's 85 still walks today a lot of people can't walk that are at the age let alone those that had polio and very few of those survived so i was like what's your secret to that and she always talks about resiliency and it came back to doing small steps. Now, going back to music, in college, I was working on the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto, pretty hard concerto, not the hardest, but fairly difficult. And I, you know, my teacher said, you have to slow down to speed up. And so those are kind of the two main things I learned uh, in, ter in terms of your question. Take small steps, so kind of incremental, don't try to you know, eat the aisle thing all at the whole time, kind of go with where you're at today and just take the next step kind of in faith. And that's kind of how we got here. It's like, I remember my wife was really pushing us to move down here is, you know, like she was the one, I had the big idea, but she was the one that actually executed it. And what she did was take those small steps. So the first step was to kind of, you know, figure out where we're going to live. You know, then the next step was get the moving, you know, so she went through the whole lip, uh, list. And so you may not know where you're going to end up, but just take the next small step in, in front of you. But when you're doing that, you have to slow down sometimes to speed up. And so what I learned in, viol in my uh, playing was if you want to con you know, conquer this whole violin concerto, if you want to conquer life, all these things, you have to break it down to, into the smaller steps, but also slow down. I just wanted to plow through this piece, like a lot of college kids. When you're taking you know, college music, average kids just flying through this thing, hoping somehow they get it. But if you slow down and actually look at each step and, uh, and each note, you're gonna have a much higher likelihood of being able to play it well. And so those two kind of, those are kind of the dichotomy of two things to look at. They're going um, small steps and slowing down to do those. Those are probably two of the most powerful lessons I've ever learned. I apply every single day of my life, literally. Mm, beautiful. Do you think your wife would come on the show? Yeah, yeah, she probably would. Awesome. <laughs> She'll contradict everything I said. No, yeah, this yeah. guy's a nut job. No, I, but yeah. I definitely want to hear her side of all this. <laughs> I'm very curious. I'm in trouble now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Okay, so when people fall in love with you and they yeah. want to learn more about all of these things, yeah. you've got your book, Small Steps to Big Profits, yeah. right? I'll link that below in the show yeah. notes. And you've got Kestosity. Is that Correct. public? Is that available? Yeah, right now it's public. Uh, the best place to go to actually get access software is podcastonesheet.com. Got it. Okay. So we'll put that below as well. Awesome. Is there any other way people can stalk you or learn more about all this stuff that you do? Yes. Yeah, so if you want to connect to me personally, get my social media links, all that, you go to meet Tony G because no one can say my last name. Uh, meet Tony except for you. Got, got it. it. You got it. You got it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Meet Tony yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for awesome. coming thank on the you. show. Yeah, this is a pleasure. Pleasure.